Praise the Lord, everybody. What a delight it is to be at Greater Life Church. Amen. And in the fellowship with your pastor and his family, I would be remiss not to mention the wonderful southern hospitality that I have received while I've been here. Thank you. I talked to my wife on the phone who wishes that she could be here, but I said, I got a beautiful room, a wonderful basket. I have been fed exceptionally well. I may not come home. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And so it is an honor to be here, to be in fellowship with your pastor. I said that this morning. Uh, he is a man of God, a man of great wisdom and insight. And this church is doubly blessed. Amen. By Brother and Sister Hughes. And isn't your worship team exceptional? You know, there are some times that you preach and you feel like you have to battle the worship team because you're not on the same page. But an old boy said one time, good worship before preaching is like soaking your beans before you cook them. <laughs> I feel like our beans have been soaked. Amen. So if somebody will make a pone of cornbread, we can eat good. Amen. Amen. The book of Genesis chapter 19 is where I'll take my text this evening. Genesis chapter 19. I'll begin reading at verse number 15. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. And it came to pass when they had brought him forth abroad that he said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, O oh, not so, my Lord. Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight. And thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Behold, now this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said unto him, See how I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar, and the sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. Quite a story. A story of a man who has sat in the catbird seat to view 
the impeccable character of his uncle Abraham. He has watched him walk with the Lord. He is living a life of blessing because of his partnership with Abraham. But somewhere along the journey, he becomes distracted, perhaps drawn away by his own lust. And with imminent destruction looming in the coming days, the Lord sends angels into this city so that one man might escape. One man. And when the angel stands beckoning unto this unwilling heart, he simply ends his reprise with this statement. I can't do what I've been sent here to do until I get you out. There sometimes God will put everything on hold for one man. If the Lord will help me for just a few moments, I want to preach to you on this subject. The Father who won't let go. The Father who won't let go. Would you lift your hands and open your hearts all over this house? Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Sodom and Gomorrah, what theologians believe to be a five-city metroplex that God has intentions of destroying because of its continual evil. Lot is a kinsman who has allowed the draw of Sodom and the acclaim of men in the city gate of this wicked city to deceive his heart. He has allowed his family to amalgamate into a culture whose chief influence is lust, not simply the lust of the flesh, but the lust for the acclaim of Sodom's citizens. And as he now becomes an honored ruler in the gate of this evil empire. God has so overwhelmed with the intolerable sight of such overt sin that he chooses to pass judgment on Sodom and her inhabitants. However, there is one caveat to God's plan of judgment. And that is somewhere billowing beyond the smoldering smoke of judgment is a father who won't let go. Abraham, when leaving Ur of the Chaldeans to inherit a city that God has called him to, allows his nephew Lot to be blessed under the influence of his leadership 
amassing herds and flocks. There comes a day that Lot allows the determining factor in his decisions to be a voice outside his and Abraham's relationship. Let me stop here and say that I believe that the people of God should be the most blessed people in all the land. I, unlike others, am not critical of Lot's desire for wonderful things. In fact, in describing the character of God, the writer would say that he only does wonderful things. And I, along with the psalmist David, believes that God wants his people to enjoy, to be prosperous and live in the wonders of the Lord. And so I cannot be critical of Lot's desire for well-watered plains. I believe, in fact, that it was okay for Lot to desire well-watered plains. I think when he began to evaluate his option, when he peered into the luscious valley and saw where his herds and flocks could grow and amass great wealth, I think that it was well within the parameters of his opportunity to say, I think I want to move my family to those well-watered plains. However, the problem with Lot's choice is that he allowed something he longed for to get between he and Abraham. Can I just say this, that in the selfish gesture perhaps, some would say in choosing the well-watered plains, really what the crisis that was brought by this man, what it stemmed from was the fact that he went beyond the voice that had brought the blessing into his life. Can I stop right here and help somebody? Is that it is not your intuitive nature. It is not your wisdom and intellect. It is not your wonderful giftings that brings on all the things that have been attainable in your life. But it's because that you allowed yourself to connect with someone who had influence with God. And thus it brought about a season of great blessing in your life. If I could say something to Lot today, I would say, Lot, you choose well, but you make sure that Abraham's voice is between you and Sodom. You make sure that there is a voice of spiritual authority that is between you and that which you lust for. I'm going to stop and just let somebody know you need a man of God in your life. I said, you need a man of God in your life. You need a voice of spiritual authority that stands between you and the things that you cannot see in your future. Mm. You need a voice. Who is it? Who is it that has the right to walk into your life And say, this is where the boundary is. We live in a challenged culture where every man is a God unto himself. And we 
don't work too well within the parameters or the framework of another man setting our boundaries for us. For those of you who look at your spiritual authority and say, well, he puts his pants on just like I do. He does. But there's a difference between his and yours. And the difference is that God always worked through a man. If you're going to be saved, you got to have a man in your life. If you're going to have the blessing of the Lord as it would live eminently in your possessions, you need a man of God in your life. Lot, what you don't realize is those herds and those flocks are not yours. Those herdsmen that are striving are not yours because you are intellectually equipped or because you have some agricultural sense. It is because there is a man of God who God has blessed and your connection to him has brought blessing to you. David, David finds himself in a crisis moment. And the crisis moment is the result of a season when he don't ask anybody. You know the interesting thing about the nature of David, and it is oftentimes the case with all of us, is that our greatest gift can be our greatest weakness. And David don't need anybody to walk out into Elah and fight the giant. He can do it on his own at 15. He can take on a lion and a bear without any help at all. But when he starts making a decision about transporting the glory of God, he don't ask anybody how to transport it. And he walks up to Obed-Edom's house and he puts it on a cart. Nowhere, for all of you theologians, nowhere in scripture can we find that the glory of God was transported any other way. It had never been transported on a cart until the Philistines sent it home. And the challenge that Israel is facing is that they're getting their cues from the neighboring nations and the Philistines instead of looking to God for direction. This has happened before. It occurred to me one day, I wonder why God decided to kill Uzzah in front of the nation. Did he not have to touch the ark in the house? Somebody touched that ark in the house. Why did he not kill them in the house? Why did he do it in a public display? And the answer, I believe, is this. Because God had had enough of the direction they were headed. He never wanted them to have a king, but because the neighboring nations had a king, they asked for a king. And now they're started putting their hands on his glory and transporting it the way neighboring nations transport the glory of God. And God said, I'm not going to be compared to anybody else. I'm not going to be like, can I help somebody in this church? The church cannot take their cues from the rest of the Christian community or the idolatrous 
culture that we live in. We live in the midst of a society that's filled with idolatry. And God doesn't want the church to look like our culture. And the challenge that David is facing is that David doesn't ask anybody how to transport the glory of God. And too often, if we don't ask first, somebody has to die. Anybody ever wondered? Perhaps thought? Why is it that somebody has to die before we ask the right questions? David staring at Uzzah, laying in the ground. How would you like to be the king that day that has to knock on a mother's door and say, by the way, we're going to bury your son. But the reason that he didn't make it is because I never asked how to move the glory of God. <coughs> And the Bible said that day that David asked this question. Then how shall we move the glory of God? You know, isn't it just like us to ask the right question at the wrong time? Why is it we show up to the pastor's office after the pregnancy? Why is it we show up to the pastor's office after the addiction? Why is it we show up to the pastor's office after the failed marriage? Why is it that we, we show up to the pastor's office after the financial struggles and woes that we can't navigate through? I wonder what would happen if we were to ask first. The story of Lot would be so much different if Lot had gone to Abraham and said, Abraham, I cannot afford to be estranged from your voice. I cannot afford to listen to anything else. I can't afford to rely on my own abilities to navigate through where I'm supposed to put my family. But up until this point, my family's been blessed because of your leadership. My flocks and my herds have been amassed because of your anointing. It has been under the cover of your tent flap that God's given me direction up to this point. If it weren't for you, Abraham, I'd still be in her working in an idol maker shop. But because of your anointing and your spiritual authority, I am safe today. And so I'm showing up before the tragedy. I'm going to save some of y'all a lot of hurt. Make the appointment with your pastor before you marry her. Make the appointment with your pastor before you marry him. Make the appointment with your pastor before you go to that school that's four hours away from your church. You go ask the question first. Because if you will ask first, God will work through his man to develop your plan. But if you don't go ask first, too often times we got too many tragedies because we navigate our own way and our own will. Can I stop and help somebody? God's way is as important as God's will. And too often we want God's will our way. 
But God's way is as important as God's will. And the only way to find God's way is to work through God's man and God's anointing. And then God gives you a destiny because your alignment with spiritual authority brings blessing. So it is. God doesn't ask. God's paying closer attention to the chattering of the people at odds than the people who have been living in unity. It's here that they part their ways. The Bible said that Lot has amalgamated himself into a culture whose chief influence is lust. It's at the judgment that the angels show up. Come here and help me. The angel shows up. And he said, Judgment is coming to your city. God's going to judge this five-city metroplex. And it's going to be consumed with fire. And the Lord sent me to get you out. And here's where we're going. We're going to the mountain. God called him to a specific place. God called him to the mountain. Can I help somebody right now? Is God won't ever call you to anything that he doesn't send supernatural help to get you there. He's called to the mountain, but he's not going to the mountain alone because God sent the angel of the Lord and he's going to direct him to his destiny. Can I tell somebody in this room, you may fear what lies between you and your destiny, but I'm telling you now that if you'll get in alignment with what God has called you to, If you'll get in alignment with what the will of God is, God will send a little supernatural help that when you can't navigate through it on your own, there'll be a Holy Ghost escort that will take you to the destination. He's called. He's called to the mountain. The apex Lot says, hold on, hold on a minute. I don't want to go to the mountain. I don't want to go to the will of God. I don't want to go to where God's called me to. I don't don't want to do that. And he begins to barter with the angel. And here's what he said. How about you let me go to Zoar instead of the mountain? Because it's a little place. The word Zoar by definition means insignificant. He said, instead of going to the mountain, 
would you let me go somewhere easy and insignificant? A little place that's near me. It doesn't require near as much as a mountain does. It doesn't require near as much investment, near as much effort. It's a lot easier to go there. Is there any way that you would let me negate what I'm called to for something that's just a whole lot easier than the mandate of a calling? The will of God matters. I said the will of God matters. If you don't believe that the will of God matters, why don't you ask Eve? Why don't you ask Eve how important the will of God is? Because I don't know that Eve knows how important the will of God is. I don't know if she knows how important boundaries are. I don't know that she knows how important that God's will and calling is until she takes a handful of dirt in a committal service and throws it over the body of her murdered son and then she realizes it's a whole lot better to listen to God the first time. You see, the problem with Eve was she had developed an affinity, an unhealthy affinity for fruit. And she sowed it into her son who had a heart for fruit as well. And he would walk beyond the mandate of God to offer an offering of fruit because he had his mother's appetite. But when she's committing her boy back to the earth, I bet in that service she probably says, I wish I'd gone to the mountain like God told me to. I wish I'd stayed away from the tree when the boundaries were drawn. I had no idea that sin was going to lead this far. I didn't know we'd have this kind of family crisis when we embarked on this journey. But I'm telling somebody now, it'll take you a lot further than you intended to go. And it will insert you into a crisis that you never intended to be inserted into. It's just better to walk in the will of God. It's just better to do what the Lord asks. He's called to the mountain. Called to the mountain. But he says to the angel, I'm afraid. I'm afraid to go to the mountain. Go read the chapter. He goes to Zoar. Because he's afraid. And the next day he becomes fearful in Zoar. And he goes to the mountain. You know why? Because fear unconfronted will never leave you. And the very same thing that made you settle will cause you to be unsettled in the place that you settled for. And drive you somewhere else until you confront that fear. I'm going to tell you, fear will run you if you will let it. Can I just sow a little seed of faith in here? There's nothing that God cannot do. And there's no spirit that cannot be rebuked. And there's no enemy that is haunting you in your midnight hour that you cannot have victory over if you will confront that spirit. For God hath not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind like. I know why you don't want to go to the mountain. It's because you fear what is lurking between you and your destiny. But if you don't face the fear now, you're going to have 
have to face it tomorrow. If you got an angel, you got an angel holding his hand, navigating him out of the city to safety. He loses his wife. He has an incestuous relationship with his children that produce the enemies of God to this day because he's bartering for the will of God. Bartering for the will of God never works. They're walking out of the judgment. And in the fire that burns as they're leaving, Abraham's talking to God. Abraham. I wonder if the conversation went something like this. Sarah, I wonder why the boy never calls anyone. I wonder, I wonder why he don't come for the holidays anymore. Do you remember? Do you remember when we gave him his first lamb? And we told him that if he'd grow it, that it would expand and he would have we gave him his first little plot of ground. We gave him his first herdsmen and his first men servants and his first group of maid servants. You, re you remember that, Sarah? Oh, I remember. I wonder what went wrong, the reason we're so at odds that he doesn't come around anymore. I wonder why that he'd rather sit in the city gate and rule with the heathen than to come fellowship with the people of God. I wonder I don't know Abraham have you talked to him lately might you send a courier with a handwritten note over to just tell him that we want to check on him and see how he's doing but we just haven't heard anything from him I wonder how the kids are I got a feeling with what the children had become in that nation That Sarah and Abraham were a little bit of an embarrassment. Although I find it interesting that when a rogue nation breaks in and steals their goods, that he's the first call. The people of God may not be your fellowship circle, but you get the news that you got cancer. 
You get the news that you've had some kind of heart disease or you, you get the news that there's some kind of crisis in your family and you go hunt down spiritual authority and say, preacher, would you pray for me? I'm in a crisis moment. Would you get all the people of God together? Would you send out an email? Would you put my name on the screen? And would you start to pray? Because a rogue nation has come in and has taken all of my goods. And the only way I know to get deliverance is to have an Abrahamic voice with his covenant speak into my destiny. He don't call. And he don't come home. So, living in this culture where Lot is looking for convenience, he's looking for something near him. He is looking to settle. An angel shows up. And when the angel comes, he takes Lot by the hand. And with fire and brimstone falling from the sky, he starts having this conversation about his future and his calling and his anointing. And it appears, hear me now, that the angel almost gets frustrated with him. And the angel says something that gives us a clue into what the Holy Ghost is trying to speak into this congregation tonight. And he says, you have not aligned with spiritual authority. You have lived in the gate of that nation. You have let your life become amalgamated with lust. You have raised your family improperly. And now you are on the verge of the judgment of God. And God has sent me. I have one purpose. God has sent me to destroy this entire nation. However, I can't do it now. Because somewhere across the river beyond the luscious plains is a father who has never let go of you. Never. With all your mistakes, with all your failures, with all the mishaps and missteps, here's a father over there that you got connected to. And this morning he had a conversation with God that went a little something like this. Are you sure, Lord, this is what you want to do? Are you sure that you want to take out that entire city? For 50 righteous, would you save them? Yeah, I would, but there's not 50 righteous. How about 25? If there's 25 righteous over there, would you save them? Yeah, I'd do it for 25 righteous, but there's not 25. How about 10? Would you save it for 10 righteous people? Yeah, I would, but there's not 10 righteous. Abraham. Abraham is not bargaining for 50 or 25 or 10, but what's on his heart that morning under that tip is one boy, one boy. He's got one boy that he has memories with. I want to tell somebody in this room, you've got too many memories with God for him to forget that easy. There are too many agricultural meetings. There are too many livestock sales.
house. There are too many meetings, too many luncheons, too many times of fellowship for Abraham to give up that easy. And the angel said, hold on. God has put everything on hold. Because Abraham's got a memory with a boy that he just cannot let go of. I'm preaching to somebody in this house. I don't care how many times you failed. I don't care how many mistakes you've made. I don't care how long you've been away from God. You got too many memories with the Lord and perched in his seat looking over the balcony of heaven is a God that remembers a prayer meeting and he remembers a worship service and he remembers a youth camp and he's got his mind on a youth convention and there's too many moments in the altar that all these years later he can't let go of stand to your feet all over this house I had a man I had a man say to me one day, he said, Brother Huckabee, I think it's almost impossible to be saved. And I said, sir, I beg to differ. I think it's almost impossible to be lost. He said, why? I said, because you've got to walk through a lot of blood. You've got to walk through a lot of prayer meetings. You got to walk through a lot of Sunday night church. You got to walk through a lot of mama's prayers. You got to walk through a lot of fast days and a lot of prayer meetings and a lot of worship services. You got to walk through a lot of faith. You got to walk through a lot of God to be lost. And the only way that you're going to be lost is if you just make up in your mind that you want to be lost. But if there is a tenderness in your spirit, I'm telling you, there's a God who has too many memories of you to ever let you go in spite of a season I'm done I preached 30 minutes I was preaching for four months for Aaron Bounds Brother Bounds called me one day and he said Huck he said, I got a man in the hospital and I can't go. Could you run by the hospital and pray for him? I said, yes, sir. His name's Larry Evans. Larry's since gone to be with the Lord. I walked in that room. Larry told me the story. He was terminally ill with cancer. He began undergoing treatments. And then, this has been a few years ago now, they had started this process where they would put a port in you. It allowed your chemotherapy to be mobile. He would hook himself up with a pick line to a bag of these fluids. And so long as he felt good, he could enjoy whatever activity that he wanted to enjoy as long as he felt like it. Larry told me, he said, one day, he said, 
I was moving about with my pick line in. I was taking my chemo. He said, somehow the line became dislodged from my port. And when it did, it spilled all those chemicals down my arm. He said, it burned my arm so extensively. He said, my wife rushed me to the emergency room. He said, it was literally eating through my skin. He said, I'm sitting there in the room. He said, the doctors and the nurses are working on my arm. He said, they began to clean me up. He said, I asked my doctor. He said, doc, how is it possible that the very thing that you're putting in my body to heal me will eat through my skin? He said, the doctor looked back at him and he said, well, Larry, that's pretty easy to explain. He said, because the blood can handle what your flesh can't. The blood can handle what your flesh can't. I'm preaching to somebody in this house. Here's enough blood in this house. Not to cover, not to atone for, but to wash away a multitude of your sin. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care how many mistakes you've made. There's enough blood in this altar tonight to wash away every failure that you've ever lived in. Because the blood of Jesus is able to wash away a multitude, a multitude, a multitude of your sin. I'm preaching to somebody in this house. I'm preaching to somebody in this sanctuary that the Lord wants to remind you of who you belong to and the price he paid. And if you'll get a little closer to the cross, he'll wash it all away. Lift your hands and open your hearts all over this room. He won't let go of you. He won't let go of you. You're never going to make a good backslider. You're never going to fit into the world's culture. Because he's got his hand on you. Because he's anointed you. Because he has purpose for you. I wish somebody in this room would step out in the aisle. And with your hands raised and your hearts open. The blood. There's nothing to the blood. And you can't make the blood. You wash me in mercy. I don't care how long you've been away from the Lord. I don't care how long you've struggled with sin. I don't care how developed your appetite for the ungodly has become. There's a father who don't let go that easy. Oh God, 
I am clean. He don't let go that easy. There's nothing to He's been looking for you. He hasn't forgotten. You can make worthy. You wash me.